Thank you, Shirley. <clears throat> so um, when Amberly and I were planning to be married, uh, we were also planning uh, to try to decide what we were going to do when we graduated from college. So we got married. We still had a year left of undergrad, and, and we were thinking the next step for us. We were discerning a call to ministry. We weren't sure what that looked like for each of us, but we thought seminary might be in the future. So uh, for our honeymoon, uh, we scheduled a trip to visit Regent College, a seminary there on the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, because I'm romantic like that. You know, if you're going to take it, <laughs> if you're going to take a trip, you might as well get some things done while you're there, right? Um, but now we both wanted to go visit this this place where one of our favorite uh, writers was a professor, uh, Eugene Peterson, and we, and we thought this might be a good place for us. And I remember being in their bookstore. Uh, and, and visiting the seminary, and in their bookstore, I picked up this book uh, about a guy that I'd never heard about named Soren Kierkegaard. Uh, if you're in the academy, they'll say Kierkegaard or something, but uh, we say Kierkegaard out here. He was a Danish philosopher in the early 19th century um, and was just a, a great mind. He was a, a devoted Christian, uh, but he, he wrote a lot of poignant things about what it meant to be a Christian in the world. And I had never heard anyone, or I, at least I don't remember, thinking about this until I read it in Kierkegaard, uh, and it really got me to thinking about when I think about the great commandment, that this guy, you know, answers correctly to Jesus, and then Jesus says, yeah, you've done that right, and he says, okay, but then who's my neighbor? So this whole idea of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and we kind of get that, so love God, love others. Okay, very simple, but the one person that we sometimes forget in that equation is the as ourselves, or the people. And so here's what Kierkegaard says about that. Uh, I think we've got it on the screen for you. He says, to love yourself in the right way and to love the neighbor correspond perfectly to one another. Uh, this is, or if I back up, the commandment said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if the commandment is properly understood, it also says the opposite. You shall love yourself in the right way. Therefore, if anyone is unwilling to learn from Christianity to love himself in the right way, he cannot love the neighbor either. He can perhaps hold together with another or a few persons through thick and thin, as it is called, but this is by no means loving the neighbor. To love yourself in the right way and to love the neighbor correspond perfectly to one another. Fundamentally, they are one in the same thing. Isn't that great? Are you like me and you just not really thought much about, okay, well, if I'm going to love my neighbor as I love myself, then it follows. Logic says I have to have some sort of love for myself. Now, we'll talk later about what that does not mean. It doesn't mean selfishness. But it means a healthy appreciation, a genuine evaluation of who I am and what I bring to the table, who you are and what you bring to the table, or else we can't kind of get that whole triangle lived out of loving God and loving other people. So, in the text that Shirley read for us in Luke 10, uh, the, the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Jesus, to answer the guy's question, who's trying to put him on the spot, he, as he often does, tells a story about this Jewish man who has a bad day, right, on, his, on the road. And he, he's left for dead, and just imagine him in the bar ditch, uh, he's he's not going to make it if somebody doesn't help him. And it's very poignant for, for preachers and church members because, you know, the priest goes by and he kind of looks the other way. Uh, the Levite goes by, uh, the worshiper, he looks the other way. 
And then finally, the Samaritan comes along, and he's the one that ends up loving this guy as he would love himself or a member of his own family. Right? He says, hey, whatever else this guy needs, just send me the bill. This will take care of it. It's, a, it's an audacious story, and a lot of things we can glean from it, a lot of sermons, and there are many organizations out there that have the name Samaritan that indicate we are about helping people. There's also a lot of theological hay to be made about how we, as people who are different than other people, should learn that you know this is a story about Samaritans and Jews helping each other, people that previously hated each other. Conflict is still going on. He's saying, you know, it's finally it's the least likely person that helps the guy. And so there's a lot of different things we could talk about. But I want to discuss the story today from the perspective of the guy in the ditch. Have you ever thought of yourself as the one in the ditch? The one who's there, left for dead. And Jesus asked the question, who turned out to be the neighbor in this case? And the guy says, well, the one that, you know, the one that helped it. He's like, yeah, that's correct. Who turned out to be the neighbor? So another way to think of that is if, if you're a Jew and you're in the ditch and you're not okay being helped by a Samaritan, then it's game over. And how many of us know that sometimes while St. Paul says it is more blessed to give than to receive, sometimes it's dang harder to receive than it is to give, right? That, that is a tough chore. And so... Putting ourselves in the position of the guy in the ditch kind of changes the story a little bit for me. It helps me to think about, am I prepared to receive a gift from an unlikely place? Can I receive gifts from people that I maybe previously didn't have respect for, appreciation for? And to continue in the circle, can I appreciate and love myself in a proper way, that would indicate to the world and any neighbor that I might love that I have a genuine appreciation for God, evidenced in my love for myself and love for others. So one of the ways that we grow in our love for ourselves and for God and for others is by the practice of receiving, the practice of genuine appreciation. Right? Appreciation is not just how you feel. Gratitude is not just how I feel when someone gives me something. It's a practice. It's practicing being grateful when I have things and when people give things and when we give each other gifts and that sort of thing. Um, Amberly and I were talking last night as we were just, I was picking her brain. I'll say, okay, so what's the difference in, you know, loving yourself and being selfish or loving yourself and just being all self-absorbed? And we were parsing all the things out, which means she was saying things clearly and I was saying things muddy. Uh, so if the sermon doesn't make sense today, I'm very comfortable with you just blaming it on her. Um, but uh, and, it, and if it's good, I'll take credit for it. Okay, that's how that works. That's that's marriage, right? Um, but no, so recognition and honest appraisal of ourselves as Christians, uh, this is a one way to think about it. So all of us as, as Christians have come through the waters of baptism. So we would all affirm together that there is a goodness, even beyond the goodness that you and I possess just being created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. We are, we are something beautiful because we were created by someone beautiful. So we're, there's goodness to us. Now, obviously, we live in a world that's fallen and sin is rampant, and we are affected by that. No one escapes that curse. But at the very beginning and at the core of humanity, there is a stamp of it is very good. Remember that? 
It is very good, all that I've created. And so, but even beyond that, in our goodness that we're created, we come through the waters of baptism, and Christ marks us with his name. We belong, right? And we hear those words, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, and with you I am well pleased. There is something good. I'm marking you with my name. And you are worthy to carry my name into the world. It's one of the joys of baptism. But also in baptism, it's not so in that way we could think about, you know, an, an honest evaluation of ourselves. We could say, you and I are gifts. You're a gift and I'm a gift to the world. We are a gift to the world. Then one step beyond that. We also possess gifts. That's another thing we receive at baptism, right? The Holy Spirit comes upon us and gives us gifts. Now, these gifts can grow. We can sometimes get new gifts. Uh, sometimes we don't encourage and grow the gifts that we have, so we kind of lose them or we lose the practice of them. But we not only are gifts to the world, but we possess gifts to be given in the world. It's like taking an inventory of all the things that we possess that were intended to be given away. What do I have that was given to me so that I can give away? That's how the gifts work in ministry, right? I remember Paul saying that. I was like, Every, everything that you have, it's, it's for the purpose of love. It's, it's not so I can say, oh, man, look at me. I have the gift of prophecy, and I'm pretty good. Or, hey, look at that person. They've got the gift of hospitality, and they're pretty awesome. You know, it's not for us. It's to be given. It's to be shared. That's what these gifts are. But it's an honest appraisal. You know, we don't get anywhere by saying, like, I'm just a sorry, terrible, awful human being. Now, I'd like to love you as I love myself. <laughs> that doesn't work very good. If that's my appraisal of myself, then if I love you like that, you're going to be saying, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> Go love somebody else. <laughs> keep that. If that's what love is, keep that away from me. That's not real. So what loving ourselves in the Christian worldview does not mean, it's not idolatry, right? It's not that we are just preoccupied with ourselves and, oh gosh, all I think about is myself and myself this and how wonderful is myself, how wonderful is ourselves. We just, you know, we can get into all kinds of grammatical problems just going in there and it just sounds, but we know people like this, right? And we've been these people before. It's just, we're just, all we can think about is, is right here. It's all here. That's idolatry, right? That's not, that's not loving yourself. That's loving an ideal of ourselves or something like that. It doesn't mean that we ignore the sin in our lives. It doesn't mean we say like, oh, yeah, well, I do this, that, and that, and I've crossed these lines and done these things, and I generally approach people in this way, but it's okay because I'm supposed to love myself. So it's not an ignoring of sin. It's, it's an honest appraisal that we can be healed and forgiven from that sin, that we can grow, that we don't have to keep repeating the same things. It's a hopeful picture. Recognition, honest appraisal. Okay. So how do we get there? How do we arrive at this idea of loving ourselves? If we're going to love our neighbors as we love God and as we love ourselves, how in the world are we going to do that? If you're like me, it's going to start with repentance, a changing of direction, a changing of the mind, a changing of the heart. Because it's natural, as human beings who live in a fallen world, it's natural to devalue ourselves. Even people are super successful and they look incredible in the eyes of the world. How many times have we seen interviews with all the people we admire and think, man, if I could just be like that person. And you see an interview with them or you read an interview with them later in life and they're just saying, man, I was just so miserable. 
here I was on the top of the world, and I was just miserable. I couldn't stand myself. I hated my life, yada, yada. I mean, this story's been repeated throughout the centuries, right? We know this. It's natural to devalue ourselves. It's failure to recognize God's goodness and our goodness. So repentance, you know, it's, it's changing. It's, it's having our minds changed about what we see, what we recognize, learning to honestly appraise ourselves in a healthy way, in a way that gives us hope and strength, not in a way that just says, gosh, I'm pretty terrible, but God is good. Welcome to Christianity. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't mix, right? It's a, it's a circle. It's, it's love that permeates everything that we are and everything that we do. And if we truly love God, John tells us this in his letter, right? First John, if you really love God, it will always evidence in loving your neighbor. You can't say, well, I love God, and then over here and not love your neighbor. Like It doesn't work that way. And so we have to say the same logic applies. If we are not honestly appraising and loving ourselves in a genuine way, it probably means we're not loving God well. We may have an image of God that is not true, an image of God that's not actually who God is. Um, in 1 John 3.16, John tells the church, he says, hey, look, we know what love is by this, that Christ laid his life down for us. And if we're Christians, then we ought to also lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. So the key, I think, in loving ourselves in this equation is recognizing the beauty of the offering that we give. Right? It means that we're still in the business of making our lives an offering it's just that we take honest inventory of what it is that we're giving away. We can look at the life of Jesus and say Jesus was perfect. He was beautiful. He was good. He had no guile, and he laid his life down as an offering. And so we appreciate the gift that much more because Jesus was perfect, right? And he gave his life for us. So how much more, if we appraise our lives and we love ourselves properly, how much better will the offering be when we lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If I constantly say, oh, I'm just a worthless piece of junk, or you say, hey, Ryan, I really, you know, this, I really want to compliment you on that, or I really recognize this gift in you, and I say, oh, no, it's nothing, I'm just a piece of junk, and, you know, yeah, and I just downplay, downplay, a dishonest appraisal, then how in the world is that supposed to benefit my neighbor if I can't even honestly take a look at myself? Now, again, it doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory. It just means honestly surveying who we are in light of God's goodness and who God is. If I have a low view or an uncharitable view of my neighbor or myself, you can bet that I have a low view of God. I probably have the wrong God in mind if I have that kind of a perception about myself and about you. It makes sense, right? I've been thinking about the word uh, charitable, you know, and, and charitable, we think, and even in some dictionaries, the first definition is like, uh, you know, a charitable organization or a charitable gift. But really the root of the word, and sometimes we talk about love, uh, the greatest of these is love. In some translations, even it'll say charity. What is being charitable to one another, right? It's, it's, it's kind of a, uh, a, a sense of, uh, of leniency, of mercy, right? It's giving you the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes we're very charitable with others, 
but we're uncharitable towards ourselves. I'll give you slack that I won't give myself, right? Are we anybody else like that? I'm totally like that. I'll give you all kinds of breaks. When it comes to me, it's like, nope, the buck stops here. You've crossed the line. You're a loser. You're unredeemable. You know, you just better hold on tight and hope something bad doesn't happen. I mean, whatever. I'll go worst case scenario about myself. But I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Uh, that is not a Christian worldview. That is not the view that Christ would want me to have about myself. It's certainly not about you. So uh, in closing, hear these words from uh, 1 John 4 and kind of what it looks like when love permeates the whole, the whole deal. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love drives out all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced God's perfect love. We love each other because God loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, then that person is lying. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this commandment, those who love God must also love the fellow believers. Isn't that a great vision for what Christianity looks like? It has to correspond. All the stuff has to line up. And when I see that word, if someone says, I love God, but they hate a fellow believer, I think that's what we're seeing here. If If I say I love God, but I hate myself, I clearly am not telling the truth. That's a lack of integrity. Things aren't lining up. And so I guess the invitation today is simply to take an honest inventory, right? To look within yourself and to look for God. When you look in yourself, because we know from the scriptures, we know from the story and we know from our experience that God lives within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if I look into my own heart, I should see God. I should find God. And may that recognition transform how we see ourselves. May it transform how we see others. May it continue to transform how we see God that we and the world might know what love is. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.